and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is 1 Corinthians 6.11. Welcome everybody back to another episode of Thinking Well Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tom. What is up, Tom? Ah, we're back. We back. And we're not alone. No, we are not. We have on this side of the glass, on this side of the production, we have my brother, the main producer of the podcast, Bryce Reeves. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, welcome, man. I say that as like I'm not here yeah, you're every single here. week. Anyway. Yeah. Every week. Thank you for producing yeah, every no week. Problem. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it was um, it's good to have you on this side and people like understand that it's not just me and Tom. Yeah. Um, and you to you know have a opportunity to kind of get in on some of the discussions and um, I think that's important. But um, you know, I think I've said it multiple times throughout the the podcast, and we definitely have used the terminology. But you know, the whole point of this podcast, right, was always been just to answer questions, you know, reveal truth out of scripture, uh, and just really help in any way we can illuminate. Right. And it got me thinking as, you know, as we, we, as, as we're tackling some of these hard hitting issues, controversial issues, um, it might be a good idea to really define what that mission statement is. Um, cause it really, I think we need to use it as a, a launching pad as a diving board into these issues. Um, and I think that's probably the, the most respectful way to do it. So we have come up with an actual official mission statement, and I want to read it for everybody because I think it's important. So the mission statement of Thinking Well podcast is to promote biblical thought, responses, and remedies from a Christian worldview in a global culture of spiritual confusion. I think that kind of sums it all up. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the issues that we deal with, um, we are trying to tackle issues, you know, that are out in the world that more times than not are just kind of being hammered down on us. And I think as Christians and especially as people who are out in the world, I think, again, something I say a lot, we need to have an articulate response to these issues and these world events. So that's our promise to you, you know. We want to approach these issues to engage thought, to find a remedy, always through a Christian worldview, because we get it. It's confusing out there. And today's topic um, definitely does not shy away from any of that. Um, it's might be, it might be the most controversial topic that we've tackled so far, and that would be the topic of homosexuality. Yeah, and then specifically, like, what should we as Christians do with the topic of homosexuality, right? Um, I really like the mission statement. I think I think as we kind of collaborated on that, we, we came up with, like, the best version of what we're trying to do. And it really represents the, the podcast thinking well, really well. Um, but... From a homosexuality perspective, I think one of the biggest questions that we have to face in today's world is, is it, is it wrong? Is it a sin? Because you've got several, several Christian groups out there saying, no, it's, it's really okay. Um, 
they can be members of our church. You've got certain, even what we would consider Christian groups saying, oh no, they can pastor our churches. And as independent Baptists, where do we, where do we fall in the grand scheme of where, of how we should view it as actual uh, Bible believing Christians? And where does that fall? And we're going to, we're going to pull in a lot of verse subjects um, this time around because we don't want to get into the realm of being really opinionated because I'm sure there are some people out there and I'm sure at, at times we've even been or seemed very opinionated about the topic, but really our opinions have been formed by the verses that we're going to present today. And they, at that point, they're not opinions anymore. They're convictions. Um, no, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, where we'll be, I think, you know, where we start off, we were talking about, you know, maybe going through some of the Leviticus first and, and kind of going through that, which is if you spend any time in the subject matter, you know, through the Christian worldview, you, you've probably ended up somewhere in Leviticus at some point. Um, but instead of just kind of cherry picking a couple of verses, what we wanted to do was, again, right, fully transparent, all cards on the table. Um, we want to give you an accurate depiction of what's happening around those verses and draw some conclusions around some of the other vices that are there, some of the other things mentioned. Because um, I think a lot of Christians, and we'll, we'll get to the reading here in a second, but I think a lot of Christians are guilty of cherry picking those verses and internalizing it and making that a part of their identity. And and we'll get to it. We'll get to it later, but treating others through that identity. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a grave mistake, but no, definitely. Um, so the, the two verses typically that are referred to in Leviticus, um, are Leviticus 1822 and Leviticus 2013. And as we were talking before this, both of them have pretty much the same message, right? Thou shall not lay with, uh, mankind as womankind, um, even says it's abomination. Right. The other one says, um, you know, if a man also lie with mankind, he hath, uh, as he's laid with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And it's interesting that immediately when we start talking about this subject, a lot of Christians, a lot of pious Christians will point to these two verses, but they won't talk about everything else that falls underneath that pretense yeah. as well. Well, and, and, we were talking about this earlier, and I think it's, it, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting that as Christians, we tend to pick these verses out and say, well, see here, the, the Bible content, condemns homosexuality. And absolutely, 100%, the Bible does specifically state here that homosexuality is a sin. It's an abomin identified as an abomination. An right. abomination is not a word that God uses lightly. Um, it's, it's one of the most completely unnatural words that is used in the Bible. But I agree with you. I think sometimes as Christians, we forget to, because the last one that you read is verse 13 in Leviticus 20. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, but we forget that the punishment for that is death, right? So you have judgment, you have an action, you have a sin, and then the judgment for that and the, and the punishment for that is death. But we forget about verse 10 that says, 
And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that hath co- that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. And then it goes on to talk about a man that lays with his father's wife, that they shall both be put to death. And then after the verse, it says the verse about homosexuality. And if a man take a wife and her take a wife and her mother, it's wickedness and they shall all be burned with fire because there shouldn't be any wickedness among you. And then both in the first one you read and in this one, it also speaks specifically about um, men and women lying with beasts and it calls that an abomination. But we, it's like we're, we're willing to admit that, yeah, homosexuality and, and, um, a man or a woman lying with an animal of some kind is just the, the most horrendous sin that somebody could take. But when you look at Leviticus, that and adultery holds the exact same punishment. They're judged the exact same way. So I think when we're, when we're talking about from a Christian worldview and a Christian perspective, homosexuality, it's a sexually deviant sin, but it is a similarly sexually deviant sin to adultery, fornication, or bestiality. Bestiality, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they're all they're all categorized and put into the same grouping, and they all have the same consequences. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, Bryce, do you have anything to, to doesn't, add? Um, doesn't all but one sin have that consequence, though? Well, and so, just, or are you just saying that this no, is I mean, the one he's just specifically? Listed. It's de- like in the Old Testament, there were certain things that were punishable by death. Oh, okay. When you, when in, you get, in that time, yeah, when you, oh, in okay, that see, time, right? Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Like sin, it's, sin it's an in and of itself. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you for that. Like, let me clarify. In in Levitical law, certain sins had different consequences. Mm-hmm. In New Testament law, which we'll get to when we get to some of the New Testament passages, we're no longer under the law, so all sin bears the same consequence, which is eternal eternal death and separation see, from God. You. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's but, like, yeah, post Christ, yeah. pre Christ. Um, but Levitical law had, it broke like if, if you rebelled, you were to be stoned to death and your parents were supposed to throw the rocks first. Right. So rebellion, I mean, I don't think there's a person in this room that wouldn't hmm. have been stoned to death. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't have made <laughs> it. Yeah, me no. either. Um, well, it's interesting, Tom, that y- you see this recorded like this because I, I've heard the argument um, from more progressive Christianity nowadays, and they'll take these scriptures and they'll they'll try to put it in a box of, okay, well, mankind, the word mankind doesn't mean another man. It means like a child or a boy. That's not even the same word. No, it's not. Right? So like they, they, they start to cherry pick and they'll start to change doctrine and things recorded in the old testament um another thing i've seen is they'll they'll take it and they'll they'll say well these are these are commandments given strictly to the israelites it's these these were these were these were just for them to stay away from what was going on around them in the region it isn't that so i okay but Levitical law, Paul said that if he wouldn't have known the law, he would have never known thou shalt not covet, right. which told him that when he coveted, he was a sinner. 
So, and that's just, that's just the basic 10 commandments, right? A lot of people forget there were 632 or 36 some odd laws, right? Right. Um, You know what I find interesting about that is the logic falls apart pretty quickly when you look at, okay, via their claim, this was only instructions for Israel. Okay. So God, when the, the Egyptians or the, the Philistines or whoever else, when they're, you know, having sex with animals or when they are committing adultery or homosexuality, God's like, oh, that's fine because yeah. you're, you're not my chosen people. So that's fine. Yeah. Like, of course not. Like right. you, you can't hold it through that lens and say God's law to preserve his creation and the image of his creation only applies to the Israelites. I mean, where, where else do you find that? And there's so many instances in the Old Testament where he punished the idol worshiping nations around Israel for their sin. And then he even uses some of these nations that he had previously punished to come and punish Israel for their sins that went against these laws. You look at how they were offering their kids to, to Molech. Like yep. that wasn't when God condemned them for that, that wasn't a condemnation on them just offering their children to Molech. It was a condemnation on anyone who would offer their children to Molech. And, but he specifically passed judgment on Israel in that instance. And if, if we think that God isn't, didn't pass punishment on the nations around them. God used Israel so many times to utterly wipe out and destroy an entire civilization, right. an entire people group, because they had strayed so far from what he had designated in his word. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah, he's, he said Sodom and Gomorrah was completely wicked. And when you look at some of the, some of the, we, we can call them archaic, but they're still applicable in today's law like the term sodomy does comes from sodom and gomorrah right. that's yeah. where that term comes from where they were where they were practicing yeah, they were known homosexuals. for it yeah, that's yeah. what they were known yeah. for yeah. um and when you look at god's punishment on sodom and gomorrah they had become so wicked that they couldn't even find five righteous men in the city yeah quick fun fact not completely related but i heard something interesting this week I, it was an interview um I can't remember the names exactly, but it's not important. What was important is they, some scientists, some archaeologists have claimed to find the two sites of those cities. Okay. And oh, yeah, I saw this. You see this? Yeah. So they were talking about what they found and why they think it's that. So they they found some like, like, you know, uh, you know, pots and things mm-hmm. and they found like, you know, walls and they did like things, just ruins, but like on one side of it, from an upward angle, it's like charred, be, like be, beyond all recognition. And there's trinidite on it. So trinidite was what is what we thought was artificially created when you nuke sand in sandstone. That's why there's a ton of it in Nevada, New Mexico. Okay, it's called trinidite because from the Trinity site. And it looks like in those two sites, it appears as if they were both nuked. That's what it appears like mm. from an upward angle with fire. And I saw that and I was like, that is pretty cool. 
not cool that it happened, but cool that we found it, I think. Yeah. But it's, it's just another thing that substantiates the God's word, right? Right. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's super cool. I, I love, I love finding things like that and thinking about it, like, you know, places, cause I'm, I'm, I'm a history buff. Like I love going to places and standing where things happened and putting myself there, but being able to do that with like biblical things mm-hmm. is like a whole other like realm for me. So yeah. when I heard that, it was like super cool, but, um, but yeah, just thought about it. When no, you but said it is good that you bring that up because historical substantiation for biblical accounts of history keeps happening over and over and over again, right? So if we keep finding all these things that verify historical accounts recorded in the Bible, then we start lending more and more credibility and more truth from a not non-Christian perspective, whereas we as Christians believe it to be absolute truth to begin with, the more that non-Christian archaeologists, scientists find things that substantiate historical accounts in the Bible, the more, the more credibility it gives the Bible in their eyes. So that ties right into our conversation true, true. where you look at current culture who wants to say, oh, no, this, this is... This is something that's new. This is something where there's a big movement now for the sexual revolution and the gender uh, identities. And this isn't a new thing. There's, there's a record of all this stuff in God's word where it's, it's an ancient and just consistent sin problem. And it's as old as adultery. It's sexually deviant sin, and it doesn't matter which way you cut it. Um, but I think I think as Baptists, and I, the whole reason we wanted to kind of have this topic is to get away from us as Baptists saying that it's a sin, it's a sin, showing the substantiation from God's word, and then where do we go from there, right? Now, you will have some people... Kyle, who will say, well, that's Old Testament law. That right. doesn't apply in New yeah, Testament law, yeah. right? Well, there's a problem with that. So there are some things in Old Testament law that no longer apply in the New Testament, right? Because if we were in the old under Old Testament law, none of the clothes that we are wearing we'd be able to wear because you cannot blend different clothing, different cloth types in the Bible. So if the shirt that I'm wearing is partially rayon and partially cotton, I would be stoned to death. Yeah. All the way down. Yeah. It's, it, we'd be done. Um, <laughs> so, or, um, a lot of people want to go back and since we're on the topic of gender confusion and homosexuality, a lot of people, when you come to the clothing aspect, also want to say, well, there's that verse in the Bible where it says that a man shouldn't wear a woman's clothing and a woman shouldn't wear a man's clothing. Yes, there is. But what that's specifically talking about is that a man should not dress up as a woman to garner the attention of other men with the goal of sexual deviance. And a woman should not do that either. Right. Men were meant to dress as men and act as men and be as men. And women were meant to dress as women in women's clothing. Women's clothing is defined as women's clothing you can't you you can't tell me you can't tell me that that's you're going to find that anywhere else in the bible but that's what it that's what they're talking about they're talking about men not dressing up as women and women not dressing up as men for the purpose of the kind of things that god was condemning here in leviticus um so i mean that kind of plays into the whole thing too with the with the gender identity issues that we're facing in today's culture and the confusion surrounding that right you know i I think 
you see it in the Old Testament, and definitely a lot of people go to Leviticus the first time you actually see the law presented in that way it, for this topic. Um, but it's referred back to several times in the New Testament. Yeah. Right? Paul, multiple times. Um, first Timothy comes to mind, one eight, right, where he gives, the, again, it's interesting, another list of, hey, people who do this, 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 and this. And among them is, again, that same phrasing, right, uh, for them that defiles themselves with mankind, Right. Right. Same thing we're talking about. But it's also in there with, you know, for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane. Right. For the murderers of fathers and the murderers of mothers, for manslayers, whoremongers. um, I mean, man stealers. Right. Uh, Things that he said that things that are contrary to sound doctrine. I mean, it's yeah, the list goes on and on. it's always important when talking about this topic to look at everything else being said. Right. It is very rarely, if any time, singled out and said, this alone. He's always, everywhere I can find it, there's always kind of an umbrella that says, these characteristics right. are what you need to look out for. And I think, um, and we'll definitely get into it later, but again, I think that we're, we're, we're very guilty, especially in the Western world, especially as Christians, as Baptists, as conservatives, um, conservatives, as people, men, I don't know, but looking at it and, and vilifying it and shame on us for looking at it as a worse sin than anything, any other thing mentioned, yeah. those of which we do. Yeah. Right. So it's the whole thing. I mean, you know, the whole point, right, was to look at this through scripture and, you know, ladies and gentlemen, there's no way around it, right? We can't say here, we can't say here and say it's not a sin, right? Right. I, I won't do that. I refuse. But uh, yeah, we're a hundred percent, no disagreement there. Yeah. There, there's no doubt it's a sin. Absolutely. It is a sin. In but, a list of many sins. But so are things that we're all guilty of um, and have been guilty of, even in the sexual deviant you know, realm right. in, in our past or who knows, even now we don't know. Right. Well, and one of the, one, one key thing about sexual deviance is it doesn't take the action to be guilty of that sin. Right. True. Cause Jesus said, if you've looked on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. So men, how, how common is that one? Yeah. Men and women, if you've looked on any person of the opposite sex, and thought about having sex with them, you're, you've immediately put yourself in the category that as Christians, we're very, very quick to point out as just some crazily sexually deviant sin. And it's, it's grouped in with adultery and fornication. Um, and, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not trying to soften the sin of homosexuality. I'm just, we're just trying to be very clear that the sin of homosexuality is like every other sexually deviant sin that a straight person or a homosexual person would practice. No, absolutely. I feel like me and Tom have been just <laughs> dominating uh, this part of it. I definitely want to give you an opportunity, Bryce, if you want to say anything. But No, I mean, I'm... Again, I'm usually behind the other window, and I'm usually, I'm usually listening, so that's just what I'm used to. Gotcha. Uh, I'm not pitching in much, but no, I mean, I, you guys are nailing everything. I don't. I mean, the, the only question I um, had, just to kind of play the other side, uh, earlier when you brought up 
the you know boys supposed to dress like boys, girls supposed to dress like girls. Um, I'm assuming that's the Old Testament law, right? Is where they mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm assuming you were referencing that that still carries over to today, right? And that's still applicable. Um, yes. Right. I would say specifically applicable for if you're dressing up to garner the attention of the same sex. I right? see. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, th- th- yeah. That's what I was going to say because, like, back then, um, you know, the fashion trends and stuff, it wasn't like today. Today, well, there's definitely like a cultural females, element to it. Yeah. Right? Females, yeah. they could wear some basketball shorts and a large t shirt and yeah. hey, they pull it off, right? And that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, I, I guys shorts today you know athletic shorts when they're working out running whatever are a lot shorter than they probably yeah. have ever been um actually maybe not no. i don't know have you seen uh, them in the 70s yeah too? maybe not 70s but, basketball players man scary mm-hmm. stuff. yeah i was just i was just curious no, about no, that no, aspect you know yeah it's some, it's some specifically, people can probably argue that side yeah but. and i think i think as specifically sometimes i think as i don't want to say conservative baptist because i consider myself mm-hmm. a conservative baptist but traditional um methodical Baptists, I think will, well, I don't think, I know they take that verse and they say, well, if a woman puts on a man's basketball shorts, they're in violation of this law, right? Yeah. Um, where I, when you look at context and we can, I mean, you give me a couple of minutes, I can find that passage and we can look at context, but in the context that it's being used, the verses before it and the verses after it, it's specifically addressing these kind of sexually deviant sins where men were dressing up in women's clothes to garner the attention of other men and to deceive them into having sex with them. And women were doing the same thing. Like they were dressing up as men and it was, it was, uh, it was part of their idol worship. It was part of the kind of worship that they were into where they were, I mean, like religious prostitutes basically. And it, they were being deceptive in that and they were doing it specifically for that goal. Um, but yeah, there have been a lot, a lot of conservative evangelicals that have taken that and been like, well, women can't wear pants and uh, folks, biblical truth. Yeah. You have to go by biblical truth. Don't, don't come up with an opinion and then go into the Bible to find it. Let the Bible dictate your opinion. Um, as we, and I, I think one of the things that we're, we've probably been guilty of is this attitude that, or maybe there's even this perception that as Christians, we just don't like homosexuals. I think I've heard that. Uh, no, I don't think I've heard that. I've heard that a couple of times. Well, you're a Christian, right? So you don't like me. Well, I I disagree. I'm, I'll I'll go to the to the far side of that and I'll say, no, I love you. I love you just as much as I love any other unsaved person, because the reality is is that a homosexual person needs Jesus just as much as the drunk on the street and the soccer mom walking into Walmart that's not saved. And everybody needs Jesus the the same way. Now, are there going to be some significant life changes in your life once God gets a hold of you and you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit starts working in you? Absolutely. There's going to be some significant changes in your life. And I think the the verse that, that Kyle started with plays directly into that because if you go to first Corinthians six, it's, it starts in verse nine. He's taught, he's speaking to the Corinthians about just unrighteous people and how they've been given righteousness by Christ. And in verse nine, he says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived. And here's another list, right? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate and let's 
let's talk about effeminate for a second. So effeminate, specifically when you look up that word, it is boys or young men that were being used or offering themselves for sex with other men, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Verse 10 says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then the beautiful verse that Kyle read to start us off, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians, and such were some of you. Yes, some of you were effeminate. Some of you were prostituting yourself for sex. Some of you were in homosexual practices. And then he says, but ye are washed and ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So there, Paul is saying, hey, Christians don't do these kind of things, but some of you used to be like this and now you're washed and now you're sanctified. You're changed. So you need to walk away from those things, repent of those things, no longer have those things in your life because now that you've been made righteous, those things are unrighteous. And he was telling the Corinthians, be cognizant of that. And when you look at that, I think you can also see that he was telling the Corinthians, hey, if some of you were that way, there are other people out there that are still like that, that need to be made righteous just as you were. And as Christianity as a whole and as conservative Christians, I think one of the things that we're doing is we're failing to make it clear that while we do not agree with the lifestyle choices and just the general life choices and sexual preferences that a homosexual person would make or that somebody who is gender confused would make, just because we don't agree with those doesn't mean that we love them any less. And on the flip side of that, that's what we get accused of a lot, right? That's yeah, that's the side I was going to go into. Um, it's it's disappointing um, that in today's climate, if you don't completely accept that, um, meaning that you fully support and yeah. endorse uh, people who subscribe to that ide- ideology, um, that yeah, it's it's disappointing that we're labeled as um, being hateful, right? And uh, you know, persecuting them. Um, it it's disappointing uh, because as there's there's definitely people like that. Yeah, there's definitely churches like that. Um, Westboro, there's definitely people out there uh, that will definitely take that ideology and go to the extreme and. I believe actually do hate them. Yeah. Um, that's not the way it should be. And you certainly, uh, I'm disappointed because it's another example of just kind of a, you know, the unsaved and we can take homosexuality out of it. Just the unsaved looking at Christianity as a whole and making assumptions about what we believe based off of the, the bad representation of others. Yeah. And the, I mean, the way it's supposed to be is how Christ was, right? That's our whole objective, right? As Christians, it's in the name to be Christ-like, right? And the way Christ was like was he was friends 
of sinners and publicans and people like this, even to the point where the Pharisees, I mean, that's one of the reasons why they wanted, they, they wanted to kill him. He can't be from God. He's sitting with a bunch of sinners. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the biggest question that I think that, that, that really stirs up in my heart is, okay, well, if that's the way we're supposed to be, but yet we're holding on to these prejudices, are we, are we being Christ-like or are we, yeah. are we being Pharisees? What that, that phrase right there, that's a whole different topic. Yeah. But, it applies to a lot yeah. more, but um, I mean, it's, it's exactly what was happening in his yeah. day and what he was, he was fighting for. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah, did he endorse that kind of behavior? No. Well, and he, 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 he didn't, didn't go hang out with them, right? Like right. he wasn't just steadily like he wasn't following the sinners right. everywhere they were going, right? Well, he didn't shoo them away. The sinners were coming to him, right? Right. And the sinners were sitting and listening to his message. He was the one that was owning the space, right? They weren't there to continue to sin in his presence. They were there to listen to him and hear from him. Right. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we think that we have to go somewhere to find someone who needs Christ and we should be in the world and not of it. Does that mean that if I'm trying to reach someone who I know is a, is a professed homosexual that I should go hang out at the bar with them and I should go over to their house and hang out with them all the time. No, I, I don't, I don't think that's how we should approach it as Christians, but as the same, at the same time, if we're closing ourselves off so much to just being friendly to them and to just seeing them as a person who needs Christ and well, we're not going to share the gospel with them because I remember somewhere in Romans, it says that God's going to give those people over to a reprobate mind, which we'll go read that passage here pretty soon. That's not what it says at all. Um, but I, I feel like as Christians, sometimes we just write off the entire homosexual community as um, there's no hope for them. Okay, then why did, why did Paul go to Corinth? Why is he writing? Why did he write a letter to Corinth? Why did he remind Corinth, you were these people? I think there's a very strong biblical stance to take that they need Jesus Christ just as much as you or I needed Jesus Christ. Because who of us can sit here that, and say that despite our us upbringing, there but for the grace of God go I? Because yeah. we could have been just as twisted. Yeah, even in today's culture, you know, it's it's different than it used to be. It, it, it's a lot harder to go um, and just tell someone about, you know, our faith and what we believe without it coming off a standoffish or getting into some yeah. kind of debate. Um, you know, so, like, for example, I had a coworker when I worked at um, McAllister's she was, he, uh, whatever, was transgender. Um, it was a she, and, and now he identifies as a he and uh, went through, like, the surgery, you know, totally transformed, um, you know, and and they were one of my 
uh, co-managers, right? So I was with them almost every single yeah. day. Uh, they they were very respectful about it, which is which made it easier because they they came day one and said, "Hey, this is what I want to be called. Um, I don't expect you to get it right right away, um, you know. But please, you know, help me, you know, help yeah. you, and, and then you know whatever, which is great. And I told them, "Hey, I totally get it." Um, you know, over time we shared our beliefs and we had, we knew we didn't agree, but it was never uh, a place of hostile um, intent and it was never, there was never a time where we argued about that. Um, and and I, I think that alone sometimes can go a long way. Yeah. Um, like, you know, plant the seed. Um, some, sometimes they just, they just want to be treated like normal, right? Because yeah. uh, whether, whether what we believe it's a mental illness or it's just whatever we think it is. Um, to them, it's real, right? Yeah. Um, so some most of the time, they just want to be treated like normal, and sometimes that'll go a long way. But what, what won't go a long way is shoving your opinion down their throat um, because they're just going to turn off and never listen to another word you say. Um, so I, I think it's just weird, you know, thinking about how I was raised up, you know, all my life in church and how we talked about going out and knocking on doors on Sunday and then preaching about the word of God and like getting in people's faces about it and being super, you know, now it just doesn't work like that anymore as yeah. much uh, in most scenarios. Yeah, It's what, just crazy. And I, I love that you brought that up, that, that what you bring up is a really good discussion topic because, okay, so if we meet someone like that, like you did, and their preference is to be called they or them, is that the time as a Christian to take a stand? Because I think the way that you handle that situation is the way that as Christians we should handle that situation because what we're going to do by saying, well, that's not, that's not how God made you, so I'm not, I refuse to call you that. Okay, so now you're not showing grace. You're not, you're not approaching it in a spirit of yeah. love. Yeah, exactly. That one, that one interaction could turn them away from Christianity and God forever yep. if you approach the situation that way. Whereas if we would just practice a little bit of grace as Christians, because how much grace has God shown us? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we would just practice a little bit of grace and like Paul said, Paul said when it, when it came to like eating the meat offered to idols, that if he was in a culture where he would have been frowned upon and it would have been completely faux pas for him to eat, meat that had been offered to idols, if that would turn someone away from Christ, he would sacrifice his love of bacon to ensure that he could reach the Jew that was eating next to him, right? Right. Well, to not be a stumbling block in any capacity. Right. And I think it's important to, I mean, that's not only to brothers in Christ, I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ to each other. Yeah. Well, again, why would we hinder that in someone's life? I mean, you know, if you, if you, you might be the only connection, Yeah. right? I mean, if you approach it immediately standoffish, not willing to, you know, communicate with them and and listen to them and, and be at least friendly, civil, yeah. how are you expect to ever have a me meaningful conversation about morals or their eternal destiny? Like, how are you ever going to get there? You're, you're not. Yeah, you're never going to have that opportunity because you've immediately turned them off because you haven't shown them. They approached you respectfully, and now you're not showing them any respect. And... I find it hard to believe from what I read in God's word that that's how Christ would have approached that situation. Like the Holy Spirit does a really good job of convicting people. We don't need to do that. 
And I think sometimes we miss the opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to convict people when we get off on the wrong foot with immediate condemnation. So I think that's a, I think that's a really good experience to bring up Bryce, because it's, it's something that we need to be conscious of. Like, is it uncomfortable for me to address that person as they, them? Yes. But is my, by doing that, am I just showing them mutual respect and a little bit of grace so that at some point I can have the opportunity? Cause I'm not agreeing with them. Right. By addressing them to, to me, that's like, you know what, Kyle, you going forward would prefer to be addressed as K. Like it's just a, it, you just think it sounds cooler than Kyle and it has nothing to do with gender. Right. Just kind of does go, going forward. Kyle would like to be addressed as K. Right. Well, if Kyle wants to be addressed as K, am I not going to am I just going to continue to call him Kyle? Because I really prefer to call him Kyle. And I think K sounds super dumb. Yeah, it's funny when you put it like that, it sounds ridiculous it, it, right <laughs> it's, like, same thing. it's like why would you that, care that, like all, yeah. all we're doing is saying okay you prefer to be called they or them that that doesn't affect my opinion of you or how i'm going to witness to you or how i'm going to treat you at all well and, well, and a lot of christians i think on that topic where they get to the point where they refuse to is they think that's them losing the argument or, or that or, or whatever yeah. debate they're in like just because you're respecting and showing love and grace to someone who who it's going to do better for you just to say, okay, yeah, like you've been, you've been respectful to me. I don't agree with you, but I will call you what you want to yeah. be called. Cause yeah. it, in reality, it, it's just a name. Like, yeah, we don't believe it, but I mean, th- that doesn't mean you lose. That doesn't mean you're saying they're right. 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 That means you're right. just saying, Hey, I love you as a neighbor and I res- more than and I, I love winning you. this yeah. argument. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like, and that's, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Like God didn't call us to win every argument or really win any arguments. That's right. He, he, he's called us to spread love and, and show his grace. That's, that's, that's what I, yeah. And it's, and it's gospel, right? And yeah, that's again, like, how are you going to get there? Right. If, if you approach it that way, now I think you bring up a good point. I think that a lot of Christians have, have fallen guilty that to that as well. Right. They, they look at the attack that we see from that, that side of whether it's the media or people who subscribe to that ideology, um, there appears to be somewhat of an offensive against people who don't share that same mentality and some maybe that aren't even trying to enforce theirs, right? But it definitely feels like, hey, I'm being attacked, therefore I must defend or I must pursue a counter offensive. Right. And I think you see a lot of that, and it's it's very damaging, where you have, you know, people who prefer to be called a certain thing or live a certain lifestyle, and as Christians, that something just goes off, and they just don't know how yeah. to handle it. They aren't equipped to say, you know what, Jesus hung around these kind of people too. He didn't subscribe to what they were doing. He didn't agree with their lifestyle. It's still sin. He came to save them from that. Yeah. And we call anybody for any sin to repentance, right? Just because you can be friendly, civil, respectful to someone like that does not mean you're making any concessions. And it doesn't mean that you agree with what they're doing either. Exactly. It just means that you've chosen to show them grace to treat them with a level of civility that God calls on us to show all human beings. You know, like the one of the most 
beautiful stories that kind of revolves around this in the Bible that you find is it's uh, John chapter eight, right? Where, you know, Christ is out and about as he usually is, right? And uh, he comes along this scene where there's these Pharisees and they have this woman and, yeah. and she's accused of adultery. And they're, they're saying, hey, we must, we must stone her as, as is the old, you know, we must because the mm-hmm. old law, right? Yeah. And uh, he, they, it's kind of funny because they provoke Jesus right as as pharisees do they pharisees tried, be they pharisees. tried that a lot yeah so they ask him okay well then what, what, what would you do teacher right rabbi what what, what do mm-hmm. you think we should do and uh he says let go of her lest you know lest you cast the first stone right which is saying any of you that are guiltless any of you that haven't committed anything sinful you go ahead and pick up the first stone and then he he re, like you know he goes down that's, that's actually what he says in 8 7 he says he that is without sin among you let him cast the first stone at her and then later right he he wipes tears out of her out of her face he puts his finger on the ground chapter 6 before that and says this they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him like i said before they were trying to provoke him they said but jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not now i like to think that he was writing their personal sins down in the dirt and there's so many things about that passage that raise so many questions because we just read according to Jewish law in Leviticus, that if a woman and a man were caught in adultery, that they were both to be put to death. Right. My question is, where was the man? Because in order for them to have caught her in adultery, there would have had to have been a man there. That's true. Those days he was accused of adultery, so maybe it was just like a rumor going around or something, you know. It's also, uh, wonder, it's also a good point. Yeah, I wonder, like, back then, I'm sure you didn't have to have much evidence if someone in some kind of power accused you of something, right? It was it probably got around pretty quick. Um, but I, the, but you, you know yeah, what, you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Those, even if they hadn't caught her in the middle of the act, who had accused her of it, and how did they know? And yeah. where were all, what? What I love to think. And again, the, the Bible doesn't say so. There's a lot of conjecture here. Kyle Kyle thinks that maybe he started writing down everybody's sin that was standing or around there. Or at least there. maybe like the, fer- the head Pharisee yeah, or something, yeah. right? What what I love, what I love to think of is he stooped down and started writing the names of every person he knew of, which would have been everybody that was standing there, mm-hmm. who had ever committed adultery in their heart. It would have been everyone, probably. Yeah, because right? yeah, yeah. he, he had made that statement before, right? So if he just stooped down and started, like, writing their names, like, immediate conviction. But, yeah, absolutely. And, and what does he stand up and say when he's done? Where, he says, where did everybody go? Yeah. Accusers, where are they? Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, woman, go thee and sin no more. Yeah. He says, neither right. do I condemn you, right? right. Go right. and sin no more. Right. Well, why would Christ not have condemned her? 
would she have been condemned for the sin that she had committed? And if she had died in an unrepentant state, would she have burned in hell for eternity? I mean, for, for let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah. But he said, go and sin no more. Right. And when you look at that, everybody that I can think of right now believes that that was the moment, right? That that woman believed on the son of God and repented of her sins. Right. And, which and is, he knew that, which is interesting chronologically. When you read that story, it doesn't really matter what he wrote. And it's fun to speculate, right? But it's all, it's all conjecture. Yeah. But I think back then when she saw, it, my point is it had to be pretty miraculous Right. What, what happened yep. because she understood what it meant mm-hmm. and she understood the grace that was shown to her that in conjunction with whatever Jesus wrote in the ground and the reactions to what happened around yeah. was enough. And maybe the names he was writing down was all the relatives of those guys that had been to see her and they realized, Hey, I guess we're going to have to stone all these people too. If we stone, you know what I mean? Maybe. Yeah. And like, she knew all of those names cause they'd been the ones that had been to see her. Right, maybe right. it wasn't the guys standing around, but it was like their son or their brother or their dad or. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, I, you know, when you look at some of these, these instances in the Bible and you look at it chronologically, it, it's pretty enlightening when you look at how it breaks down, but it, it definitely goes to exactly what we're saying, right? We have to adopt that same attitude as Jesus did, right? Yeah. There's going to be people who are malicious. There's going to be people who don't go into these conversations or in, or into a church building. And we can talk about that here in a second, yeah. but um, with bad intentions in their heart, right? That, that'll happen no matter what sexual orientation you subscribe to. But as long as they have an open heart and as long as we're being civil and respectful and approaching them with the gospel, like Jesus has commanded us to do, yeah. we are doing our part. And we, again, the whole point of this is we can't be prejudiced against it. We can't vilify it because the same sin that they are living in is the same exact sin that Christ died for, for us. That's right. It's yeah. the same sin. So it, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. And we, I think we lose that so much. And I especially, and you mentioned this a little bit before you kind of touched on it earlier, how like as Christians, sometimes we feel attacked by that community specifically. Right. Um, and we should definitely take a stand against those attacks if some if if someone in that community is going to um, come at us personally at our workplace and stuff like that then we should stand up for what we believe in and we should do it but we can we can refute or defend against their attacks without immediately going into like you said being the aggressor because all we have to argue is Christ that's the easiest thing we can argue. And we can, well, you hate me because you're a Christian. No, I don't hate you because I'm a Christian. I hate your lifestyle. I hate your sin just as much as I hate the sin of the drunkard down the street and the the, the murderer that's in prison. And just as much as I hate the sin of my 
your own sin. My, my own sin, right? Like I hate the sin within myself. That's a really good point, Bryce. Yeah. Um, I hate the sin within myself and I don't hate your sin or my sin any less than the other because I needed forgiveness and you need forgiveness. I wonder sometimes if as Christians we think that, oh, they're going to have to come a long way before they're able to believe in Christ. A long way to what? Well, it's the same thing we talked about a couple weeks ago with the, the, the right kind of soil, right? When yeah. planting seeds. Um, listen, folks, we're, we're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God, right? We're all destined to eternal damnation without Christ. Default state. Can't get rid of it. Yep. That doesn't change just because someone identifies a certain way prefers something that we don't agree with. Um, we don't look at them any differently. Their sin is the same as our sin. And when we start realizing that, I think that's when the perception changes. That's when we are able to come out of our shells. We are, that's, that's when we are able to stop bunkering down in our churches and go out and reach people. Because um, really, in today's climate, I, I, have, I have a hard time believing that the other side will initiate the treaty, the peace treaty, right? Yeah. So I think it's our obligation to make it known that we don't hate you. It's actually quite the opposite. We actually, we probably love you more than most people, or at least we should. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think it's, again, it's our obligation to start that message and to really make that known. And I think that that that'll help a lot right when people when people understand hey listen yeah you're a christian and as it stands right now our core ideologies disagree pretty heavily right but you don't treat me any different you know there isn't some kind of weird tension people can feel that Mm -hmm. right some of us may be doing it and not even knowing it but you, you have to get it out of your heart um it's definitely not a spirit of the lord that you're harboring and it's hard yeah it, trust me it's not i'm not i'm not saying this like do it because it's it's just so easy turn that switch off no it, it's i get it it's it's a hard thing to grasp and understand and live i, I understand that but just like anything you got to put in the work i mean but we have yeah. to yeah, yeah i mean that's that's comes down to it and it, it is more difficult i think sometimes because we look at we look at that community sometimes and it feels like a lot of them are very militant um, and a lot of them are very aggressive about their beliefs and how we need to accept their beliefs and accept their lifestyle. And we've said it a couple of times, but acceptance and love, people like to use uh, tolerant so much in today's culture, right? Like, yeah, oh, you're not, you're not very tolerant of other cultures or other lifestyles or... I can tolerate a lot of things. I can tolerate somebody sitting here and driving a knife blade into my kneecaps. Like I can tolerate that. I wouldn't tolerate it in a very good (laughs) spirit. Right. But I could tolerate it. Like I'm not going to die from it. I'm going to be in pain, but I'll tolerate it. Right. Like if I'm, if I don't have a choice, I'll tolerate it, but I'm not going to accept the fact that someone's doing that. Like I'm going to do everything that I can to stop them from doing that. Tolerance and acceptance are not the same thing. I can tolerate anyone. And just, we should. D- just about. Yeah. And I can show grace. I'm commanded to show grace to 
everyone. But neither one of those things mean acceptance. Yeah, well, I think that's where, I mean, just the culture today and, I mean, we just see, we see it more and more every single week and month, but it's almost like a, a war, you know, going on between, you know, Christians and then non-Christians in, in every regard, right? Yeah. Uh, homosexuality, you know, transgender, I mean, anything, just wokeism, period. Right. I mean, there is such a stigmatism behind it that if you identify as a one, it, they already, I mean, and Christians are guilty of it too. I mean, I, I, I'm not perfect. There's definitely times where I have had conversations with people who are not um, easy to talk to about this kind of stuff. And I mean, I'm sure we all have, and they are very standoffish. And in my mind, in the center I am, I'm sitting there thinking I'm better than you. Like, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? And yeah. like, and, and, and that's the problem, you know, like we're not, like we said before, we're all center. We're all sinners. We, I hate every sin the same as the same as I hate my own. Um, you know, so that's, that's something I think we forget quite often. And I mean, that's just, that's just the world we live in today. And it's so hard to, I mean, well, have these conversations. It's, and it's definitely being perceived that way. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's easy it's so easy to fall into that. It's, and it's hard to get out of it. I, I, I'm right there with you. Right. When, as I think men in general, but I think just people and Christians, when, when you're attacked and you think it's like, you think it's a real attack. Mm -hmm. Um, it's pretty, pretty easy to justify a counteroffensive. Oh yeah. And it happens pretty quick. Um, your brain just kind of goes attack mode. Yeah. Must defend, must attack. Um, not always the right response. Now, I will say this, though. There's a caveat I want to put here, and this is, good, this is a good transition, because you said, you know, being respectful, being loving and graceful to people isn't accepting their sin, mm-hmm. right? There's a difference there. Yeah. And I think we need to be careful, you know, as Christians, as, you know, as the world progresses and, and this, you know, this warfare, like Bryce said, seems to just get more intense, more polarized, and it just seems to be just pitting against each other. We need to be the bridge. We need to start showing people that through love, through, you know, grace and, you know, not approaching it as in a hateful spirit and get our, get our, get ourselves out of the way. Yeah. Right. And that, that's really, it's kind of funny, right? Pride seems to be like, like the most, like, I mean, it's like one of the, it's the most terrible sin, right? If, if we can get ourselves out of the way in most of these issues and be more like Christ, that basically solves everything. Yeah. It's, it's pretty yeah. funny. It, that It you goes can, back to what we discussed with Dan a couple of weeks ago, yeah, right? You can really kind of narrow it down to yeah. that. The, the power of the gospel should trump everything. Right. Now, here, here's the, the dichotomy, though. I'll give you a scenario, right? Um, it's 11 o'clock Sunday morning, right? People are coming into our church. And it's normal, normal Sunday. People are coming and we're greeting people. Um, and say someone brings a friend, right? Um, and they make it known that they are uh, homosexual or, or transgender, right? You, you know this, right? How do we respond to that within our churches? Well, let's, I guess, give us a little context. What do you mean they let us know? Like, are they being like a, 
I don't want to sound mean like a, like almost like a nuisance. Like, hey, I'm coming here to, to disturb. No, no, it's, or... it's it's either apparent or we know beforehand. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, it's a good question because that's where I'm going with this too. Yeah, yeah. But it's we we are let aware or we know off the bat. How, however, we know we know. Um, what do we do? Are they welcome here? Do we ask them to leave? Do they garner the same respect? and love as the rest of our church family does? Do we accept them? How do we handle it? And, and I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking everyone listening, right? Majority of our church is listening and majority of our listening base are Christians, but stop for a second and ask yourself that the, this, this Sunday and a couple of days from now, when you go to church, if this were to happen, how would you respond? Yeah. And like, honestly too, because I, I don't be sit here and it. think about it and say, Oh, I'd go up and shake their hand and show them grace and yeah. love. But like in the moment, you know, you're like, what are you thinking? You yeah, know, what are you that, thinking? That's what we're would you about. avoid them? Would you, what would be your first thought? Would you let intrusive thoughts win? Right. As people would say. <laughs> well, and, and I, and I love, and I love Bryce that you said, are we going to go up and shake their hands and come on, everybody think about it. There are people that you see here every week. You don't shake their hand. Oh yeah. So you're going to go Absolutely. out of your way to go shake this person's hand who you obviously have an opposing life view with. Right. So you're going to go out of your way to go make them feel welcome because I, if we're all honest with ourselves, we would not. And so the one opportunity we had to share, to show Christ's love to someone, not just in the message, not just in the way we conduct our services, but from a, at, at a personal level to go shake this person's hand and let them know that they are loved and that they are welcome. Are we enough like Christ to go do that? And I, I love that you bring this up because um, I was listening to an, another podcast, uh, small plug here. I hope he doesn't mind Albert Moeller, the briefing, great yep. thing. But he was asked a question and I'd like to I'd like to bring that up here because the question I think applies very much to the question that you're asking. And it was from a, a Christian preschool teacher who said that they had had a boy enrolled in their preschool and that his parents brought him to the preschool dressed as a girl. And they were treating this boy as a girl. They were raising him as a girl, even though that he was biologically 100% a boy. And the question that this person asked was, should we allow this to go on in our Christian preschool? And I think that's a very important distinction, right? If we're claiming the banner of Christ, we should be loving to those people. We should be show grace to those people. We should make them feel welcome in our church. But what they need to know is that just like we would not allow Kyle, if, if you were, if you were not a child of God and you had not been baptized into this church, we would still let you in this church, right? You would be more than welcome. But what we would not do is put you in a teaching role in the church. What we would not do is allow you to become a member of the church. What we would not do is allow you to be a member of the band or the worship team in the church, right? Because you, by your own personal statement, your views and your lifestyle would not match 
what we're trying to represent under the banner of Christ. Yeah, this is this is very similar to that big uh, topic that came up with the gay marriage thing in church. Yeah, right. The whole um, I think it was Chick, uh, someone with Chick Fil A and. They almost got canceled for this or something, yeah, but well, someone... They, they openly, as a company, came out um, just not supporting it completely. Right. Um, which both the left and some of the media took as a complete hatred and yeah, yeah. assault on that community, which yep. wasn't true, by the way. Right. Um, but yeah, that's... Yeah, but even... But the story, I don't know what it was, it was a few years ago where a church was in the news and it was it was under a lot of scrutiny and stuff for refusing to perform a wedding for a gay couple right right and yeah. and that was a very big topic for a long time a lot of conversation about it but i think this is very similar to that yep i um, agree yeah. you know simply going to that child or that child's parents and saying hey you know this is what we built this is what we stand for right um and this is why you know and, yeah. and so uh, and we're, we're trying to create in our church right a culture that supports our doctrinal and our biblical views. So would, should we go greet that person and make them feel welcome and show them the same grace that God has shown us? Absolutely. Absolutely. There, if they have an opportunity in that service to hear the gospel and that's the, that's the opportunity, right? At, at this point in time, they are the most fertile soil that they will ever be in that one visit. And the seed can be planted and the seed grows, right? Th- this one point in their life, they're at, they, they've got something going on in their life. This one point in their life, they are the most fertile ground that they will ever be. Because before they walked into church today, they were stony ground. And when they walk out of church today, if they don't accept Christ, they're going to be stony ground. But right now, it's the most fertile soil. The, the gospel is, if they hear the gospel right now, they're going to they're going to get saved. Who are we? We don't own the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's not our gospel. Amen. It's yeah. the gospel of Christ. Yeah. It's not our gospel to hoard. It's not ours to be selective with. When the sower spread out the seed, he didn't walk over to just the the good ground and be like, "Yep, I can tell this is good ground. I'm just going to throw the seed right here." Cuz this is the only place it's going to take. I can tell. I can see it. And it goes back to that concept of, well, they can't come to church unless they're willing to change their lifestyle. No, come to church. Have you guys heard the whole, the gym analogy? Mm-mm. You guys heard uh, about this? Uh-uh. No. So again, we know that church and the memberships and everything like that is a lot deeper than what I'm about to say. But for like a beginner who doesn't have a lot of biblical knowledge about what a church yeah. should be, this is a great analogy, I think. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I, I saw it and it was like, hey, what do you see when you go to a gym? When you walk into a gym, what types of people do you see? I mean, people who've been working out for a while. You see people who've been there a long time and you see people who have not been there a long time. Yeah. Right. That's what a church is. We're all there for the same reason. Some have been there a long time and have refined their skills and know the knowledge and are members. Right. And some are just getting started. Right. They, 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 this is the first, second week there, but they're all, they're there for the same reason to better themselves in, in that, in that space. I don't I know you've gone to the gym. I don't know how many gyms you've gone to, but like, there's a respect inside of gyms. You know, like when you walk into a gym, 
yeah there's like people do not judge like that's just like the atmosphere around yeah. it right and like why are we not like that at church yeah. you're not that's you're not crazy. gonna be made fun of for taking a, cu- a bunch of weight off of yeah. the off of the machine because you can't handle all exactly. that weight right and the guy that just walked away looks like he could bench press you know 450 pounds but he's not gonna make fun of you yeah. because you took off the weights right. that he and most of the time on. it's the opposite right they're encouraging yeah. they're like hey right do you need help with your form do you need help right like, that's exactly right. what church should be it's a great point you bring up because imagine put yourself in their shoes how much courage did it take for them to even show up? Yep. What what did what was their morning like? Yeah. What what went on in the events that led them to the church? Right. And how do we know that wasn't divinely inspired? And and who are we to get in the way of any of that? Yeah. R- really, really sh- shame on us. Right. Shame on us. And yep. I feel like as Christians, we kind of coin this phrase a little too much, and I think we kind of lean on it for a testimony a little too much. But I think it's the most applicable in things like this. Like, let's say they're not in church. Let's say the thing that got them to church was the person that invited them to church today, right? If you've only ever not been friendly to them and you've only ever engaged with them at work when you need to and you've never tried to build a relationship with them, a friendly relationship, not a relationship where you guys go and hang out together all the time, right? But a a relationship that's based on mutual respect for each other and you've engaged them in meaningful conversations. Church is not for unsaved people. Churches for Christians who are a member of the church to learn and grow and to go out and make disciples, right? That's where we reach those people at so that they can get in the door because the likelihood of somebody in that lifestyle just walking into the door of a church without being invited by anyone else is pretty pretty slim, right? Especially if they, if we've got the name Baptist on the door, probably not a place that, that they would walk into. But if we've built that meaningful relationship and we've built some rapport with them and they know that while we don't agree with their lifestyle, that they that we respect them and that we love them and that we're willing to show them grace. I'm going to be honest with you, folks, you don't have to change to come to church. But I tell you what, if if you can invite a homosexual person or someone that's gender confused or has issues with gender identity, like they're confused there is hope. I, Kyle said this so many times on this podcast, like there is hope. There is a better way. There's a better there way. is yeah. Jesus Christ. And we're never going to be able to show them Jesus Christ if we make, if we continually close ourselves off from being a part of their life in some way, shape or form. Homosexuality is a sin. And it, it is, it, biblically, it's defined as an abomination. I think one of the passages, and I, I, I want to, I didn't want to leave Romans one out because I think it's a really important passage because this is something that a lot of people will quote and go to from a Christian perspective, but Romans one and this, I mean, this will probably open up another Avenue of conversation as well, but it goes into what you're saying, Kyle, about, you know, engaging them in church, showing them grace in church. Romans one beginning in verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I'm going to pause there just so we can pause there because it says all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it to them. 
real quick, verse 19, a lot of people will say, well, I'm, I was searching for something or I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin or I felt like something was missing in my life or I'm just looking to find myself or I'm looking to have definition in my life. I don't, I, I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm who I'm supposed to be. You're not. That which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. You are missing something a hundred percent. We're all missing something in our life. What you're missing is God. Our pastor says it quite often. There is a God-shaped hole in your soul and only God can fill it. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. And he, Paul's just saying, hey, creation reveals that God is out there. Right. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Well, what does that mean? That means that God put everything in the world together a certain way because he created it a certain way and it fits together and works together, even in procreation, the way that he has designed it and intended it to be. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. I, I, don't, I don't like the way God made me. I want to be something different. I'm unthankful for the way God made me. I want to be something different. Why are we surprised that that's some of the attitude in our culture today? Why are we surprised that that's a prevalent attitude in our culture today? In Romans, it says that this is how it's going to be. They became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Where are we at in our society if we're not, if we have not tried to make humankind the epitome of God? Like, we have, we have made ourselves into our own gods is where our society's headed. And that's why it's okay to be whatever you want to be because you are the best thing that can define you. And birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. There, there's people out there that, oh, I identify as a cat. Well, you were made in God's image, not in the image of a cat. You're corrupting the image of God. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And I'll tell you, we, we like to grab a hold of this and be like, well, this is talking specifically about homosexuality. And granted, some of the stuff is very pointed at things like that, but turning ourselves into the image of man or making ourselves images that we worship and giving into the lusts of our own hearts that's not something that's just specific to homosexuality. That's something that's specific to everywhere you look in our culture who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, mankind, more than the creator who is blessed forever. And this is the one that everybody likes to get a hold of. And for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use in that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, we don't need God. That's a general culture thing. We wonder why the, the rise of the LGBTQ plus movement has become so prominent well, we want to define ourselves. We don't want to go uh, to the natural affections. We want to define our affections ourselves. 
we want to we want to be the way that we want to be because I don't believe that God could know better than I do. Which goes back to the the prideful nature of yes. mankind, right? That's our biggest downfall. It really is. You can trace almost every sin back to some kind of selfishness or pride. Yeah. And then I'll I'll, clo- I'll I'll end the Romans passage with this because I think it's really important because it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind and so many biblical Christians want to stop there after to do those things which are not convenient. So God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that aren't convenient. Well, what things were not convenient? Well, the fact that they were filled in verse 29 with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. And here's one that we like to gloss over, disobedient to parents. Yep. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things, that entire list, are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And if that is not a complete description of our culture today, I don't know what is. But we want to take that passage and be like, well, God has given this specific people group that practice one of these specific sins in that long list of sins, and he's given them over to a reprobate mind. Now, again, it's, it's the whole list. Yeah, go down the entire yep. list. Anyone who has put pride as a prominent thing in their lives and want to dwell on that and put that ahead of God and just continually reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God has given that person over to a reprobate mind. The same with someone who's caught in homosexuality and caught up in that sin. The same with someone who is continually disobedient over and over again, not just to their parents, but to any kind of authority figure. Someone who's constantly covetous of somebody else's stuff. We've got to look at the whole list, folks. Right. We can't pick something out of that list and be like, oh, God has given this sin up to a reprobate mind. And if we're welcoming the people that are disobedient to their parents, And if we're welcoming the people that are covetous and if we're welcoming the people that are proud into our churches, then we need to welcome the people that are showing affection to men that they should be showing to women and showing affection to women that they should be showing to men. We have to let them in our churches. We have to reach them just as much as anyone else in that list because Kyle Bryce, you and I don't know the point that God gives them over to a reprobate mind. We can't make that call. I don't know when that is. And it's not for us to assume. No. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think what's the, one of the most dangerous things about this, and I, I kind of want to get into, I want to close with this, because I think there is an, a response, a stand at, some, at a certain point we do have to take. Absolutely. Um, and I want to get into that a little bit, the response on that, and then we'll, we'll finish it up. But um, societally, when we look at this issue, when we see the attack that is being waged, when you remove morality from your identity, when you remove morality from the choices you make, 
and the standard in which you live your life, which is America nowadays, yeah. which is the world nowadays, um, it creates a very slippery slope. And when I say that, I'm, I'm, I mean to say this, um, okay, homosexuality, right? We, we must accept it, have it voted into law because it is inherently the right thing, supposedly, right? Okay. According to who? Right. If it's not, if it's not the Bible yeah. and if it's not Christ or the, the commandments, if it's, if, if, if the Bible is not your foundational moral standard, then what is, oh, it's just society. It's popular demand. It's the yeah. voting system. Okay. Well, what happens when here in a few decades we're, uh, it's okay now and you must accept someone who's attracted to a 12 year old, a minor attracted person. Now, right. now they're calling them. Well, we don't hold ourselves to any moral objective standard. Uh, we're just voting on it as a people. And you know what? Whatever. We'll, we'll vote it in. Because we don't, we don't hold ourselves to any morality. Yeah. It's just the will of the people. Society. Okay. Boom. There it is. Do, do you see what I'm getting at? It's a super slippery slope when we don't have a moral compass. We don't have a moral objective standard to hold our laws to hold how we govern ourselves, to hold what's in our heart as a society. And you see this over and over again in history. The Greeks, I mean, uh, the, the Ottoman empire, the the, the Turks, you see this when they start, when they start messing with the identity of self and the sexual identity, a couple hundred years, they're gone. Yeah. Society will crumble under this ideology. You have to have a moral compass. Right, that's a slippery slope. And to get to what I was getting to, in in finality, don't get me wrong. We're not saying that you must take it all the like. You have to accept it, right? We made a, we I think we made a pretty clear distinction that being respectful and being civil isn't accepting their sin. Yeah. So where is the line? Where do you say, mm, nope, putting a barrier up because I need to protect my heart. Yeah. The sanctity of the congregation, the purity of the congregation or my family. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's where it gets kind of gray, right? We should absolutely let them in our churches, greet them, show love and compassion and grace to those people. They're the people who need it the most, but we need to be careful and observant and discern what their motives are and what exactly is going to transpire while they're in our building. Right. right? We, we can't have them, you know, trying to, to preach or, you know, uh, you know, a screaming match or disrupt the services or try to engage our young people or whatever. We, we, there's, there's things that we have to say, mm, there's a line. And if you cross that line in church, right. And there's certain things in your own family, in your own heart, you have to put barriers right. up for yourself. Those, those are your own convictions. But when it comes to a church, there, there are lines yeah. where it's no longer profitable and it's no longer just. Do, do we hate them? No, but we have to protect the sanctity of our congregation. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that was mentioned in this other podcast, because the recommendation was like, because we're under the banner of Christ, right? You need to get with those parents. You need to let them know, like your child is more than welcome to come here. But as a biological male, he is expected to come here as a biological male. Right. Like as Christians, we have to take that stand. That's just like if, if a, if a, 
homosexual couple were to come to our church, would they be welcome in the doors? Yes, absolutely. But would we allow them to stand in the foyer and make out? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. We wouldn't allow a heterosexual couple to stand in the foyer and make out. That's an agenda. Yep. Right. So you're, if you're going to come into our home as a church, because this is our church home, right? right? The building is just the home of the church. It's not the church. If you're going to come into our assembly, then under the banner of Christ, you are going to have to acknowledge and be respectful of what we represent as an organization. And that is not that. So welcome here, but don't come in here with an agenda. Don't come in here trying to find something wrong with something or stand up in the middle of service and be like, I knew you hated homosexuals. Like, no, we're, we're just preaching the Bible. And if you want to come and hear the Bible, you're more than welcome. But if anyone, whether it be homosexual or anything else, wanted to come in here with some kind of an agenda, you would not be welcome. And I know from a, for a fact that this church, we would be compelled to remove you accordingly because it doesn't line up with the type of atmosphere and to your point, Kyle, the protective shelter that we try to provide to our membership as a church. Right. And the same thing goes for your family and especially your own heart. I know it's, it's hard and we'll close with this. I know it's hard more and more families nowadays. They have a certain member of their family that um, comes out or makes a profession of a different identity or something like that happens. And it's happened personally in my family, uh, in multiple families I know. Um, definitely is more prevalent nowadays. You see that. And I think a lot of Christians aren't prepared to handle it. And I think a lot of them historically have handled it very poorly uh, to the point of disowning, um, just kind of excommunicating flesh and blood. You're not welcome uh, sons, in any family event sons ever Sons and again. daughters. Yeah. yeah um, and it's it's absolutely insane, like insane to me uh, now that I'm a parent that that happens. But again, it's about loving and acceptance, right? And, and that'll, that'll cover a lot. But there is a point where you have to put a barrier up and say, hey, I love you, but I don't, I don't agree with your lifestyle. And I, I can't accept what you're doing as doctrine as a, as a as a principle in my life doesn't mean I love you any less doesn't make you not my son doesn't make you not my daughter yeah doesn't make you not my, my whatever right friend whatever mm. um, but I, I I I cannot follow you down this path I but I, I I will minister to you and I will I will love you as much as I ever have right you don't stop becoming my son or daughter because this happened and it's sad because that has absolutely happened oh, where, yeah. where, where parents have completely disowned kids happens and, all the time. and it's, it's the wrong, it, it is a hundred percent the wrong thing to do every time. Yeah. And that I'll, 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 I'll tag a little bit onto that. It's the same concept of if I had a, a child that was as, when we say living in sin, they're living a lifestyle that's not in accordance to how they were brought up. Right. So regardless of how they're living in sin, they're a drug addict, they're an alcoholic, they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Right. 
a serial they, killer or they, something. They, that might be a little bit different oh, sorry, story. Sorry, sorry. But I, I would let them, <laughs> I would invite them to family events, right? Absolutely. I yeah. would invite them to my house for Christmas and Thanksgiving. Now, if they lived out of state, would I necessarily let them stay at my house? No, because I have to protect my home and right. I have to protect my family. So if I had, and I have two grown kids, but if if one of them came to me randomly and said, I'm, I'm gay, I have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and they're a boy or a girl would would that mean that they're not welcome at my house anymore now granted 10 years ago i probably would have said no but the lord can do a lot of work in 10 years right the lord can bring people into your life that can show you that some of the things that you felt really strong convictions about were only your convictions they weren't biblically based and yeah i would have them at my house now could they stay at my house with their partner or their same sex relationship? No, but they're welcome at my house because that's the only opportunity I'm going to get to show them love. Right. So I 100% agree with that. I think that's a great point and a great way to kind of round it out is, yeah. it, it, especially when it comes to your family. If we can learn to show people love in our family and things like that, man, it's a lot easier to do it to people who aren't in your family because sometimes we tend to judge our family harsher than we judge anybody else. That's true. So I, I think a, a, a fair way to close this would be, I think we've made a very good point of showing that the Bible does condemn homosexuality just like it condemns many sins, but that Jesus, just like he can forgive all the other sins, that he can forgive the sin of homosexuality as well. And we need to share his gospel with those people that do have, that say they're homosexual or gender confused because it's not our gospel. It's his gospel to share. Right. We, we are simply messengers. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a great, great thing to remember. Um, obviously, if anybody listening to this um, is struggling with that in their life, um, needs uh, a church family to surround them to some, or just someone to talk to. Um, we, we would love to, to minister to you um, in any way. I say this every week, but in, in any way that we possibly can, we would, we would love to with no judgment, no hate, um, really in the truest sense, nothing but love. And it's only because Christ loved us the same way. Yeah, that's it. Um, so we know we'd love to reach, um, you know, reach out to you and, and, uh, and, and help in any, any way we can. Um, and we would love to see you here. Yeah. Hey, yeah. If, 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 sorry, go ahead, Bryce. I was going to say that also, um, you know, extends to people who struggle with showing grace and, and love right towards this conflict, right? Yeah. If you, if you struggle with that, cause that's hard, right? That's yeah. hard to do, especially yeah, in today's culture. It, yeah, for sure. Um, so not only if you struggle with that specific sin, if you struggle with just accepting that and showing grace, um, you know, would be more than happy to talk about it and, and get, dive into why God uh, says what he says and why he acted the way he acted when he was on this earth. Yeah. Um, right. So, and I'll say this, just one last little mic drop and we can call it and I'll have Tom tell you how you can reach us. But when we act a certain way towards certain demographics of people, whether it's homosexuals, gender confused people, um, really any prejudice that we have, although most likely what they're living in is in sin. For us to act that way towards them is also a sin. Yeah. It's all the same, folks. Yep. Yeah. Take the beam out of your own eye. Yep. Y you must. Um, it's all the same. So, again, um, 
we'd love to minister to you, whether you're struggling with kind of, like Bryce said, understanding the, you know, how to interact, how to, how to, how to create this framework um, in your heart of acceptance and love. I understand it's not the easiest thing, but Christ coming to die for our sins wasn't the easiest thing either. Right. And you can accept the person without accepting the sin. Absolutely. If you'd like to give us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. Uh, If you have just general questions or specifically on this topic, you're like, man, I I really don't agree with that. Or I really do agree with that. Or I hadn't thought of it that way before. Or I could use some help because I'm kind of struggling with this sin in my life. Uh, Drop us a line. It's podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. You can also uh, direct message us on either Facebook or Instagram at LWBC underscore publications. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. I would also encourage everybody that are if you're a normal listener and you subscribe, man, share us with people. Leave us a review. What happens when you leave reviews on any of the podcast platforms is it gives us a bump so that we we are seen as a ministry in more people's suggestions for podcasts that they listen to rather than some of the other stuff that's out there. So I would encourage everybody to do that. And we'll be better about our social media posts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we appreciate everybody for, for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back with another episode next Friday. And uh, we definitely appreciate everybody taking a plunge in the well with us today. Take it easy. Have a great week. See, See you later.